Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to bridge the gap between therapists and clients. We are your companions on your journey to build your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've created a free email course on our website, shrinkthink.com forward slash awesome. Just kidding. (laughs) Forward slash podcast. We've got practical steps on overcoming fear and anxiety. Hey, thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Disclaimer and newsflash, we are not your therapist. Welcome to the game. We are just educating you and that is it. Do not take what we're saying as a life-changing situation. Please just enjoy the program, sit back, relax, and thank you for being here. Hi folks, Gordon Brewer here, and if you don't know me, I'm the person behind the Kindness and Compassion podcast, which is part of the Psychcraft Network of Podcasts, and I'm so proud to be part of this network along with Nathan and Aaron and the great work they are doing to help people in their lives and in their journeys. And if you haven't discovered the Kindness and Compassion podcast, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'd love for you to join me as I explore both the psychological and spiritual and emotional sides of how we can live into more kindness and compassion in our lives. It's a podcast devoted to helping people find peace and contentment in their lives through the practices of kindness and compassion. You can also check us out at kindnessandcompassion.com. Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. We are excited to have an awesome guest today. I hope we can get through this show and actually accomplish something besides just having a ton of fun and having lots of laughs. We've been like trying to get this started for like the last 10 minutes and we just keep laughing. So we're excited to have you along. We've got one of our dear friends, Marty Altman, on the show. He has a solo private practice in Atlanta, Georgia. He received his master's degree from Georgia State University in 2011, and he has practiced since then. Marty specializes in working with creative professionals across the state of Georgia, especially those with ADHD or high-functioning autism, and that's going to be kind of what our show is about, those two things. Marty helps clients navigate life transitions and cope with anxiety. He's a married man and has three children and two dogs. And in his spare time, he writes songs and serves on his daughter's high school band's pit crew. So all of that. Yeah. Martin, welcome to the show. Martin Altman, LPC. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be joining you. I've saying it before, but uh, this is one of my favorite podcasts and uh, I've always wanted to do this. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. We're glad to have you, man. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about like... How did you get into the subject matter of ADHD, high-functioning autism? Like, that's kind of a a specific sort of niche that I don't think you just sort of like roll into. Like, you know, I think I want to be a doctor, a lawyer. I want to work with ADHD and autism. Yeah, I I had no idea that I would wind up doing this. I actually started my professional career studying children's play therapy and got pretty successful. I loved doing that. But the problem with that was then I had kids that needed me during that span of time. 
you know, if you're a play therapist, you got to really work those evening hours. And my kids needed me then in those hours. And, and I had to kind of realize, all right, well, maybe this isn't for me. Then, you know, my wife also is the juvenile court judge locally in our home County. And you can't really be a play therapist when your wife's a juvenile court judge, <laughs> you wind <laughs> up going to court and then you're sitting in your wife's court and you know, it's just kind of awkward. So. <laughs> yeah, that would be awkward. <laughs> so we trans or I, I transition here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you solemnly Honey, swear? This is a nice kid. Make it stop. It's okay. Let him go. That's right. Do you solemnly swear? Yes, babe. What's for lunch? You know. (laughs) (laughs) Holy mackerel! Yeah. So, I made that transition and and kind of realized, all right, well, I need to start working with adults. I started working with adults. I had to look at, well, who am I like really good at working with? And I looking, you know, at, at the clients I had been pretty successful working with as adults was was uh. ADHD and high functioning autistic people. Um, and then I, I had to look at that and kind of evaluate, well, why is that true? And had to take the hard look in the mirror and realized I, I, I think I myself am probably someone with ADHD. And that was a huge wake up call and this huge kind of light bulb kind of moment that made me realize, oh yeah, well, that's why I can be really impulsive sometimes. That's why I can be, you know, really given to some emotions where I can be really passionate sometimes and why I can be really creative. And, you know, I'd started kind of, kind of digging into it. And then I found the book, uh, ADHD 2.0 by uh, Dr. Ed Hollowell. It's only a couple of years old and found that and everything in it kind of made sense. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So here is, the population I want to treat. And here's a book that explains me at the same time. And I think maybe just my personal experiences, my personal insights would be enough to, or or not enough. There's got obviously got to be training and and some learning there for sure. And I did a, a good bit of that and then realized, well, I think this is my niche. These are my, my people. And, and I would love to help them. That's a great story. I love that. I, I love anytime people's personal story intersects with their impact, the direction, the meaning that they they make in the world, because it just seems like it's always so much more impactful and more profound when stuff that you've been through can be used for the betterment of other people, right? I love that you you saw that and were willing to embrace it. So one of the questions that I have about ADHD, I know a bit about it, but I don't, I probably don't know as much as you do. So I'm going to kind of act as a little bit like a a general audience member who might be like, okay, I've heard about this, but like, what the heck is this? Right? Like people throw around ADHD. Like it's, you know, you get like, as a therapist, you hear like a couple of classic things. You like men are saying women are bipolar and women are saying men are narcissistic. Right. And it's kind of like, well, let's break down what those actually are. Right. And ADHD is another one of those. That's like, you know, if somebody's a little bit disorganized or if they're late to a meeting, it's like, well, you have ADHD or something. It's like, well, maybe not necessarily. So let's break that down. Like what the heck is ADHD? Before you go, let me, let me add something into that because I think the personal experience that you have is going to be valid in this. So, because one of the things the joke in grad school is you go through the abnormal psych class and then you're, you're learning about all these different disorders and you're like, oh crap, I have that. Oh, crap. Okay. I have <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. yep. I have OCD. That's it. I've got all blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and capricious and uresis. <laughs> like, yeah, we're not going to define those. Just look those up. So, but you came to the determination on your own, kind of like looking like after reading the book, you kind of d- did some self-awareness type of stuff. And so it, I think it'd be cool to integrate that when you're explaining maybe the ADHD component at the same time. 
Yes. Yes. Um, so I wish I had like a really easily deliverable definition for what ADHD is. I can kind of broad picture, kind of shotgun approach yeah. this thing. Just but in your I don't own really... words, like if you were to yeah. if you were talking to somebody, how would you explain it? Just forget about like the clinical, the accuracy. You know, of I mean, it's accurate, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is like this is like Marty's version of it, right? Your your personalized <laughs> definition. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Marty's version. Here. Here we go. So it's categorized as a neurodevelopmental disorder. I think that's kind of a, a good place to start, meaning that, you know, it's going to affect your neurology. It's in your your nerves or it's in the way that your brain is wired and it's going to change as you develop too. You know, uh, honestly, as as I age a bit now, I'm, I'm approaching uh, 45, I can feel, okay, that wasn't there before. I used to be able to do that and I can't do that as well. Or, you know, Hey, I've, I've kind of gained that ability neurologically that wasn't there before. And, and it's changing a little bit as I age. Primarily it's categorized by inattention, right? Um, which I really don't like that place of starting to categorize it because it's more than just inattention. Honestly, Instead of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, I really like Ed Hollowell's, uh, Dr. Ed Hollowell's uh, author on the on the topic. I like his version of calling it the, the VAST, the, the variable attention stimulus trait. And that is that my attention is stimulated at varying levels at varying times by varying things. And I vary a little bit more than other people do. Um, so that's that's really a decent summation of sort of broad strokes. What the problem is, is that my attention might be laser focused here on this one project that I'm like all in and passionate about. And on the other hand, I was supposed to pay the water bill yesterday and it's probably going to get turned off and, and I forgot all about it. And I just never made a plan to do it. And I'm probably going to be in trouble with the wife when she gets home because I didn't pay the water bill. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's got to be really difficult too. If, if that's been your experience, you know, like you're so competent in one area, like I would imagine asking yourself, like, what's wrong with me that I, I, I can't do these simple things or these basic things over here, but I can do this big project over here. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Yes, yes, exactly. One of the, the biggest, I think, most intrusive problems with it comes from the, the disconnect and sort of there's a there's kind of a simplistic way to understand it, but it really hits home. And that's that front of the brain knows knows what and how to do things and knows what needs to be done and it knows how to do it. So I like to use the example with clients that my wife asked me to hang a shelf, right? And so I know what, I know that I need to hang the shelf. I know how to hang that shelf. Yeah, no problem. But that shelf's been sitting on the floor for six weeks <laughs> and I haven't done it because it's a when and a where problem. When and where is in the back of the brain. That's the the planner. There's never a a formation of a plan to actually go do the thing. And so you could say that I don't have intent, that I don't have any intention of doing it. When really it's that I never even fired up that connection in my brain to think about when and where I need to do it. There was never a prompting in the brain to make that plan. And they say that until it becomes urgent, I'm not going to make that plan. There's like coming at you with the gavel and she's like, you better get, take care of this right now. Or like with the gavel. That sounds pretty good. I mean, I didn't yeah. want to stick with you for a long time. That might be so. too close to home. Back off you and Marty here a little bit. Will you? I mean, 
Yes. <laughs> so Marty, let me ask you this from a fault, you know, like whose fault is it type of perspective? Is fault even involved? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, there certainly is the responsibility to be a responsible adult that I carry. And, and I think any, anybody has to, but you know, is it my fault that I never had that awakening? Uh, I think it is my responsibility to number one, understand and accept that I have ADHD and therefore I need to establish, um, maybe a system that prompts me to do the things that I need to do or will forget to do. But I don't think it's my fault that a connection in the brain doesn't happen. It's my fault if I don't put reminders out there to keep me, keep me responsible. Does that make sense? Right. So it's one thing to not know that something's going on when stuff continues to go on. If you just kind of go through your life pretending that everybody else should change for you and, you know, figure it out when you have all this feedback from people, you know, going, Hey, um, bro. I mean, I told you that already like four yeah. times. I told you four times at some point you have to own the reality that you're encountering life in a way that other people are not. Absolutely. And, and so then it's got like, okay, well, how do we, how do we address it? You know? So then it's trying to investigate, you know, how to address it in that way for in your own life. It sounds like you, I mean, you already know stuff. So when you start realizing something, I guess I'm wondering how did that happen? Where you, when you said you took a look in the mirror, what was it that you started noticing or trying to figure out that you had to take responsibility for? Yeah. And let me just add to this too. There's a, a piece of it that kind of reminds me of, of working with people with bipolar disorder for those listeners out there that might not have any experience with this. It's not just like, a, oh, this is me. Okay, that's interesting. I'll like, you know, investigate and, you know, understand it and take care of it or whatever. There's like a, I don't want this diagnosis. I don't want to be bipolar. So I'm wondering if it was difficult for you or if you encountered that it's difficult for people to see this in themselves and then to own it and be like, yeah, that's totally me because they have, maybe there's like some shame around it or some like, oh, I don't want to be like call myself this kind of a thing. So is there like a, a wrestling with that, that you experience or that you see that people experience with it as well? Yeah. The label can be freeing. I had a, a good friend tell me once that receiving a label of depression really helped them feel okay about themselves. You know, like they, it helped them kind of understand that, okay, this is sort of like an outside force operating with me. It's not my true self to float some IFS out there. I'm not an expert in that at all, but it's not my true self, but it's like another sort of force acting on me. And I can see that, yeah, this explains what's going on with me. I'm depressed. And, and I think it's the same with ADHD. It explains what's going on with me. It sort of validates and affirms, doesn't excuse necessarily. I think that's sort of the gray area we get into sometimes is mm -hmm. what's what affirms and what excuses. I've still got to be a responsible adult. I've still got to, you know, provide for my family. But this now explains and helps me kind of normalize and validates my experience. But it helps me normalize the experience of I've always been different. And now I see why. You know, and I think with ADHD, particularly you look at any artist out there and, and just about all of them are going to have some kind of traits of this, of any kind of art, you know, I call it the creative brain. 
the other thing with ADHD and, and, you know, again, back to Hollowell's theory of taking off the D, it's not really a disorder. It's a trait. It's looking at the fact that this has some really good traits that come with it. It's a, it's a superpower in a lot of ways. And you can say the same thing about autism too. And some people really struggle with that kind of notion, but the, with the downside of the impulsivity and the emotional dysregulation that can happen and the fixated thoughts and the rumination and the brooding with all that downside comes the incredible <laughs> creativity. <laughs> the, the, I can be fully given to the blissful pursuit of creating art. You know, I can lose myself in writing a song or I can lose myself even in, you know, cutting the grass if I want to, or, or I can lose myself in any kind of passionate pursuit. If I'm really into it, I can bliss out. Not the bliss out is always a great thing to do, but there's that upside. And there's the fact that I can see the world in a different way that allows me to be extra creative. I had a lot of clients that were art students uh, or, you know, actively artists and they're all reporting the same thing. It was, yeah. Like it, it's really hard for me to focus on the little things sometimes, but man, I wouldn't trade it for a minute because of the big things that I can see and do creatively. It's, it's like a, it seems like when you, when you talk about this, thinking about the variable attention, it's kind of like the superpower is I can be extremely present in where I am. Like if I'm in a different world, if I'm thinking about something creative, I can be in that world and then I can explore it and I can see it from lots of different angles as though it's the only world that exists which is great. You might lose track of some like time, things that need to happen over there that are like, Oh shoot, I needed to, you know, get the trash out or whatever. It's like, that might happen as a byproduct of it, but being so immersed in it and so present is actually quite a gift because a lot of people do have trouble being present in general, but you can do that really well. Is that correct? Yeah. Which, you know, that really goes against the name attention deficit disorder. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's more that, that I can hyper-focus. I can absolutely be given to to doing that fun thing that I'm doing. We hear this with uh, parents of kids a lot of times, especially years ago, like when I was a children's therapist, I'd, I'd hear it all the time. A parent would bring their child in and said, they would say, he can't be ADHD. He can play his video game for six hours all day long. You know, <laughs> like he can totally focus on that. But I can be really, really given to one thing and all like focused on that. And it can look like I'm just really, really this totally neurotypical person given to this one thing and doing it, you know, really well. And the hard part is that I may never shift over into doing all the other little things. I remember working at a, a large company, like a warehousing company, and it was my job to do many, many administrative tasks. And I got to try and figure out one day why the gas bill was so high and for the, the warehouse. We were, I was told to bird dog that thing, find out why it's so high. And so I dug into it for at least four and a half hours. And a certain guy came through, like a, one of the officials came through and, and he observed me for a little while. And he pulled me to the side and said, you can focus on one thing super, super well but you let that one thing override your focus. And he said, and everything else around you goes to shit. <laughs> I, think, I think, wow, that's was my first wake up call. And ooh, he was thank you. That's so helpful. Completely right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I feel like crap too. Yeah. 
I was thinking about, as you were saying that, so I am going through right now an evaluation for ADHD. Like, right. Is that what this thing is? Are you hooked up to an EKG machine right now? No. Is Marty observing you? Is he just an assessment? Marty's assessing you My head versus my heart. All of you listeners right now, this is happening live. (laughs) This is what it looks like. Ah, Aaron, put the Oregon green away. Yeah, anyway. um, (laughs) One thing that I found interesting is, so my sleep is not that great. So they're like, well, before we do anything, we want to do a sleep study. Plus, the other thing that is feeds that a little bit, I think that prompts a little bit more research these days currently is the fact that the stimulants, all of them, which are all, which are the medications for treating ADHD are having all kinds of manufacturing issues. They are very slow. They're behind on everything. So they can't necessarily prescribe, like if they were to prescribe something now, you might not be able to get them at the pharmacy. So I think they're taking in some ways, some extra time to make sure that like, okay, you, you are the person that has this type of thing. They're like, okay, go get a sleep study. But I'm like, okay, I have always been, I'm, I'm not a dumb dumb. So I, I got through school fine, but I've always had problems with my interest level. So it's like, what I've found is kind of like what you're saying. And I, I framed it to clients a little bit different. What I'll tell them is like ADHD is kind of one of those things where you just don't have control over your interest. Like if somebody says you need to be interested in this and do this, if I'm not interested, I will avoid the crap out of that. I mean, yeah. and it's very hard for me to flip the switch to be interested. So there's subjects in school where if I'm not interested in it, I will kind of do it, but, but whatever I'm interested in, in the moment that I'm in, I'll do that instead, which then I turn back around. And I'm like, Oh, I just reading that thing that goes down to reading books. If I'm reading something and I start thinking about something else, I'll get like through a paragraph and go, Oh, I don't even know what this said. Like, yes. (laughs) Anyways, I feel like I don't need a sleep study, but because I'm like, I can tell you my sleep sucks. (laughs) Is that enough? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this whole thing stinks. But they also are doing, they're going to do blood tests. They want to do an EKG. They have this other thing called a Q1, which I, do you know about the Q1 test? No, not, not too much. Are you doing this through like one of the major clinics that addresses ADHD? I don't know if I can use names here, but. Yeah, that's fine. There's a clinic in our area that's, it's not like nationwide, but they focus on that. They're taking me through a bunch of stuff. I mean, at the end of it, it'll be like, well, if I am, then like, it's going to be hard for anybody to argue about it. Like yeah. in, I mean, even my own brain, I'll be like, well, they've literally looked at everything. They're doing an EKG at some point. So colonoscopy as well, just to, just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, that's for different things. <laughs> Don't worry. It's coming your way, buddy. It's coming your way. We found it. ADHD. <laughs> we found it. It's been here the whole time. There we'll it is. Cut the, we'll cut off the polyp. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it went there, folks. Maybe we edit that out. You probably <laughs> is what happens when we have Marty on our show. <laughs> yeah, never know what's going We did just get back from what three days in Savannah <laughs> at the Wise Practice Summit. A lot we of did. fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Bringing it up, I am hoping that there's a big resistance. Let me do a little bit of history, tiny bit of history. So, back in the beginning of figuring out there might be an intention, don't do it, Aaron. Again, don't this do is, it. This don't is do one. It. In the beginning, I know, I knew I can't help it. This is like this is what ADHD looks like with three people talk. Anyway, so <laughs> if you if you go back to like the eighties, they knew that there was a problem, 
And so they found this medication that typically it was Ritalin back then, but they used yeah. Ritalin as the diagnostic criteria, essentially. Like if you take Ritalin and then you are better, yes. then, then, then you must have ADHD. Good job. We are killing it. You're fixed. Yeah. So then it became a thing where after a while, we'll just give you the drug and then we'll see what happens. Well, yeah. then fast forward, people that, you know, these stimulants get a street value. We have some relative drugs, street drugs out there. Methamphetamine is very similar molecularly to the methylphenidates of, of ADHD. Yeah. And so they have a street value. So now everybody pulls back and goes, wait, it's these teenage kids are in high school and they are going to their doctor, getting prescriptions intentionally. The doctors are, are handing them out. And then the kids are selling those, those pills. And back in the day when, I mean, this is like probably about five years ago, the last time that I really looked at it, it was about $10 for every, I think it was like 10 milligrams. It was like a dollar a milligram. So if you're a kid and you can get a prescription that your parents are going to pay for, and you've got a 30 day prescription for 30 milligrams, that's a lot of money. So it, what they, the doctors freaked out and the newer doctors coming in are really hesitant to prescribe. So they're putting people through all these things. And on top of that, the manufacturing problem that we have right now, where the, the supply chain is just horrible, is causing everybody to slow, slow it way down, which I think is good in some ways because it's not just giving stimulants out. But I don't know in, in your experience, because you, whether or not from a medication standpoint, where, what's your viewpoint on medication when it comes to this stuff? Because it's, it's a hot topic. Yeah, I always take the approach of, you know, if you're on it, I will totally support working with you on the meds. If you want to talk about like how it's impacting you, that's totally it. As an LPC, of course, I don't, you know, spend too much time working with meds. But then if you don't want to take meds, and, and I personally don't take meds either, if you don't want to, then let's talk about, you know, ways that we can introduce like, like routines and uh, lifestyles um, into, into your daily life that, that help you kind of counteract the, the effects of ADHD. Um, so I definitely don't judge it. If someone wants to, to, to use those meds, I, for a lot of people, I've seen them be really, really helpful and, and really, really just almost life-saving sometimes. To turn just a little bit down a darker corner there, we, we also kind of have to look at, well, ADHD can come with some safety risks in terms of, you know, a, a person who may deal with depression, who also has ADHD, may be, you know, more prone towards suicide, self-harm kind of stuff. We just have to be really, really careful with that as well. That, you know, doesn't mean that every ADHD person has to take meds. It just means that if a person deals with ongoing safety concerns such as that, you know, then I'm going to be sending them to a psychiatrist psychiatrist for, for some kind of evaluation on, on what meds they need. Maybe it's depression, maybe it's ADHD, maybe who knows, but I'm, I'm going to, to, to work with them and kind of help them figure out, all right, what are the symptoms that you're having? What's the safety risk and, and what, what do we need to do? So, so no judgment towards using meds at all or no judgment also towards not using meds unless maybe there's some kind of safety risk and I need to push you that way. Does that make sense? If I'm getting you right, I understand the no judgment piece, but when you said it sounds like if there is like a depressive safety risk, um, and, and just to back up a little bit, one of the things that Hollowell talks about in ADHD 2.0 is this idea that in 
people with ADHD will, or the, the variable attention, when they get in an, an emotional state, whatever yeah. it can be, it can go euphoric or it can go depressive. Yeah. They will have a tendency to latch onto that emotion and spiral, like going down a, going down a hole. Right. And so what you're saying is if that's you, maybe you do need meds. Is that? Yeah. Like you if, benefit from meds. Yeah. It's and not like a bipolar thing where you, it must be chemically managed. So what I'm saying there is, uh, if if de- those depressive traits are there, I'll be sending you to a psychiatrist, and and the psychiatrist with the you know higher knowledge would be able to say, all right, this is ADHD, let's treat that with depression meds, or this is depression, let's treat that. Um, so I I wouldn't require ADHD meds to be present if the person is ADHD and also highly depressed towards that, but I would require psychiatric intervention there. Does that make sense? So, yeah. so that, um, there's at least another set of eyes on that. And, and so that there's someone medic, uh, medicating or at least medically treating this person and, and that concern can be better managed. I probably didn't say it correctly the first time, but that's, no. that's definitely how I should have said it. <laughs> no, I'm with you. It makes sense because what you're, what essentially what you're saying is, is like, it's not about like, you're saying on the one hand, look, medication can help you. Cool. That's great. On the other hand, you don't want medication. Cool. That's great. But in the middle is you've got enough, like a secondary um, problem of depression yes. coupled with an ADHD tendency to like follow into a big deep hole. Yes. You're saying uh, it's out of my scope of practice to give you drugs, bro, but you need to go somewhere where some medical professional that could yes. can determine whether or not you need to do this. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because that, Thank that's you. the safety risk of like falling into that hole. And and as a treatment treatment provider, I got to make sure that you know, being aware of that potential that's being um, managed and addressed. Yes. Thanks for listening to our interview with Martin Altman. Stay tuned for the second half of this episode where we talk about strategies for dealing with ADHD. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening.